Hello, Mountain. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. I saw some guests on the way in that I was meeting who are here for the first time, and just Merry Christmas especially to you. We're really glad you're with us. I think we have some special things planned. We've been, we've been working through, if you haven't been around for recent weeks, it's okay, we're going to catch you up right now. We are, we're in a series of messages. Uh, it was just something we like to do at Mountain, and it's called The Colors of Christmas. And it's just helping us ask, in a real honest way, what's the big deal about Jesus coming anyway? I mean, what if he hadn't come? Would it make any difference for us in our lives and in the world? So each color is kind of giving us an opportunity to look at something really, really important. So help me out here. We started with red, which is the color of love. And that was a reminder that turns out God really does love us after all. And that's a great message for skeptics and shame-filled people like us that God really does intend that love to come to us, but then through us to other people. What was the color we did next after red? Anybody remember? It was white, and white is uh, kind of points to that beautiful moment when you look out and you see this fresh snowfall over a landscape, and it just covers and blankets everything in a way that just makes it all look so pure and pristine. And it's a reminder how that's something that really all of us kind of long to have happen in us, you know? And in fact, it can happen through Christ, because as the Bible says, um, though your sins be as scarlet or ketchup stains, you can be white as snow. And then last week, we looked at what color? Blue, blue reminder that, you know, we're not always happy. And even in the Christian life, there's some really difficult things that happen and, and how much we need uh, Jesus to meet us in the midst of all that because uh, we need a wonderful counselor. We need that. And a mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And for Christmas Eve, we're moving on to the last color, which is what? Green, of course, and I see some of you actually wore green. Some of our greeters and musicians wore green. I actually saw someone in the commons that was wearing green. I, I looked familiar. I couldn't remember who it was. I took a picture. Maybe you recognize him. Uh, but yeah, I wanted him to come in and speak to you, but uh, he wouldn't come, and I, you know, I didn't want to you know, use force. So I... Bad joke that was. Um, I have a green suit I was going to wear. Um, uh, I didn't wear... Have you seen my green suit before? Here's my green suit. I was going to wear it, but decided not to, to wear that. So what we've been doing uh, with this green thing is we've been singing a song each, each time, and it was easy with white because with white, we just, you know, we did Bing Crosby, and you all seemed to enjoy singing that, you know, white, white Christmas, and then Elvis with the blue Christmas that was easy slam dunk. I'll be doggone if I'd have a hard time coming up with something that really works for green, you know? It was not easy. I thought, well, maybe we could do like that Kermit has a song, right? It's, it ain't easy being green, but, you know, hardly anybody knows it, and it's kind of depressing. And um, I thought, well, then I remember that 70s song, um, like, green-eyed lady, lovely lady. And I thought, I read the words, and I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to do that one in, in church. So. <laughs> so we had fun doing oldies before, so I thought, well, we'll do oldies again. So how many, of you, how many of you are old enough to remember the theme song to Green Acres? Huh? Yeah? All the 50-year-old people are like, yeah, that was good television back then. All you young people, my kids don't even know what it is. Let me tell you, young people, let me tell you what you're missing. Nothing. I'm telling you what. <laughs> nothing. But hey, it's a song and it has green in it. So right now, all the old people are going to educate the young ones and everybody sing along. Let's get our hick on and let's do it. Sing it along. Here we go. Strike up the band. Come on, sing it if you know it. Here we go. Green Acres is the place to be. There you go. And that, my friends, is Green Acres theme song. So, okay. See what high culture you're missing, children? They just don't make good television like that anymore. 
Um, he wants to leave Manhattan because he wants to go to the green acres because that's where things grow. Friends, green is a color that's going to help us think about something important. Green is the color of life. It's the color of new life, isn't it? It's the color that you see when something is growing. And it's a good pointer for us to think of the parts of our lives where something needs to grow again. Maybe you're aware already of some parts in your life that need something new to happen. Where right now there's not growth, there's deadness, and something needs to spring up and happen. Maybe you're ready for something fresh to happen in your life or a, a change or growth or a, a fresh start. You know anybody that needs a do-over? Bet we all do. I can think of one guy who would probably like a do-over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Unless you've been living under a rock, you probably heard that Steve Harvey was emceeing the Miss Universe pageant, which none of, nobody cares about until he made a mistake. Now suddenly we all care. You didn't even know it was on until he made the mistake. But yeah, he read the wrong name on the card, you know, and he announced the wrong lady, and they all got happy and clapped. He put the crown on her and crying. It's lovely. And then it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, nope, like driving into Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. It's like, that ain't happening. And all of a sudden, they took the crown off, put it on the other gal, and they're all crapping and clapping and crying. They weren't crapping. They were crapping, clapping and crying. You know, some people probably were, but I, I mean... I mean, it wasn't that important all of a sudden, but now it is, oh, you know, so. So, yeah, you know, and, and uh, of course, poor Steve, you know, he tried to cover it up, and uh, he, he sent out a tweet, and uh, of course, then he spelled the name of the countries wrong, and they're all mad at him for that, and it's like, sorry. And then to make matters worse, I don't know if you heard, he actually emceed the Westminster Dog Show the next day, and when he announced the winner of that, this is what he did, that's what came up on him. You know, it's, like, it's like, come on, man, poor Steve, you know. <laughs> of course, the internet just blew up about this. Like, this is really important now, you know. And, of course, everyone's teasing him and mocking him and piling on like we just did. And, um, you know, well, what a doofus he is and how could he make such a mistake and everything. When I got to thinking about that, you know, maybe the reason we do that is um, because it's easier to poke fun at a celebrity from a distance than it is to actually think about our own lives. And maybe it'll make nobody notice some of my own gaffes and mistakes. That you actually, honestly, when I start looking at my life, I realize that some of the things that I might want to call mistakes are actually a lot more serious than reading the wrong name on a card at a ceremony that nobody really cares about. I mean, I even just think about, think about just as a parent, things that I would consider uh, failures through the years. A husband, you know, I'm not always on. Sometimes as a husband, I feel like, ah, failure there. And there are whole gaps in my character. Maybe you can identify parts of your life like that. That aren't in the public eye and no one's going to put it on television. But honestly, when you think about where you are and where you could be, maybe where you should be, want to be, where God would have you be. And that gap identifies for us an area where we need to grow, we need to change, we need something new. We need to develop and have new life come into our lives. Ron told me one time that I said, how are you doing? He says, well, I actually, Ben, I feel barren. I said, barren, tell me what you mean. He says, well, I'm making a lot of money. I'm doing this job, but I hate it. I'm spending money on stuff that just leaves me feeling empty. My marriage is mediocre. and We're kind of drifting apart. My kids feel estranged and disinterested in me. I don't know. He says, I feel like I'm climbing a ladder rapidly that's leaning against the wrong wall. When I get to the top, it's not going to matter. Barren is the opposite of the life 
of green, isn't it? Maybe you can identify with that feeling as well. You'd never know it by looking outside today, but it's actually winter. And uh, in Minnesota, now it's cold in winter, okay? I grew up in Minnesota, and it's really cold there. I mean, it, it can get like below zero for like three years in a row, straight. Never come above zero. I mean, it's just amazing. Really, really cold there. And, you know, when you're in the middle of winter, um, when you see the dead branches on a leaf, uh, on a tree, you know, you just wonder, well, uh, will, they ever, will they ever have leaves on them? Will there ever be green life to those trees? It's hard to imagine when you're stuck in the middle of winter. Minnesota, I know about that. In fact, it's so cold there, it just can be depressing, and you just drag on. My dad lives there, and he, he said he saw the neighbor going to work the other day. He looked so depressed, he actually took a video of him. Here's the neighbor going to work in Minnesota uh, this week. Yeah, maybe you can identify with feeling like that too. And it turns out that's pretty much where the people of God found themselves. In the Old Testament period, we've been working out of this book of Isaiah, which, which is a prophetic word that God gave 700 years before Jesus visited the planet. And the people of God then were a lot like us. They, on the one hand, wanted to work and walk with God, and yet they got impatient and sometimes gave up on Him. God had said he would send a Messiah, and the Messiah would come, and he would bring hope and life and sort of put all things to right. And they said, awesome, we'll wait for him. But they got impatient. Maybe again, like we do, sometimes we get tired of waiting on God to do what we think he should do and when he should do it. So they got real discouraged, and they gave up hope. The word had said that the Messiah would come through the house and lineage of David, the house of Jesse. But when they looked at the family tree of Jesse, they saw nothing but an old dead stump. They thought, there ain't nothing coming out of there. And they got discouraged in the middle of winter because there was no green in sight. And it's to that people, like us, that God gave this word in Isaiah chapter 11 when he came and he said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. That's the principle. God brings new life. Out of old dead stumps, when and where you least expect it. And maybe as you look at your life, just as God brought a sprig of green coming up out of the stump of Jesse, a Messiah did come, which changes everything. Some of us can look at our lives and go, that's what I need. Because you've got an old dead stump in your life, or two or three or four, that you think nothing good's going to ever come out of that again. But God is a God who can bring new life when and where you might least expect it. So the words I gave to Ron, my friend, Words I'll give to you are from God, from Isaiah, again, chapter 43. God says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Some of us need to move on. God says, oh, that's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Enough already. Do you want to see what God can do in the future, in your life, with the old dead stump you're staring at? The next verse says, look, I'm about to do a new thing. Some of us need that word tonight on Christmas because you've got a marriage that needs a new thing. You've got yourself in a relationship tizzy with someone. It's all twisted up and you need something new. You're, you're distant from God. You're disconnected spiritually. You're barren in that way and you need God to do a new thing. God says, I want to do a new thing in your life. It has already begun. Do you see it? We're like, no, all I see is just same old, same old. Nothing changes. 
I see just a dead stump. God says, no, I've already begun. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. When you're in the middle of the desert wasteland and you don't see any possibility in this situation you're staring at, God says, wait, I can make a way where there is no way. And you're like, no way. He's like, yeah, way. That's what God does. That's what God does. I heard uh, years ago about a very uh, famous painter, a very talented landscape artist who was painting on this big canvas, and he had a group of people kind of watching over his shoulders. He created this really bleak winter scene of the mountains. In the foreground, there, there was, he painted in these swirling winds around rocks. You could see the trees bending over it. Let's look cold and stark, these gray, jagged rocks. Dusk was setting in. Clouds are rolling in in the background, very ominous and kind of creepy, cold and, and just bleak. It just gave you the chills to look at the painting. But then in the background of that frigid painting, the artist painted in a little lone little cabin right there nestled into the woods. And then with everyone watching, he did something kind of for dramatic effect. He paused until they leaned in to see what he would do next. And then with one brief, simple stroke, he completely transformed that painting. He dipped the tip of his brush down into yellow paint and he put a touch of gold right there in the window of the cabin. And instantly, your eye was drawn to it and the whole painting changed. And now the painting had a sense of hope, an aura of joy and welcome and brightness to it. Yes, there was still all the ugly parts of the painting were still there, the windswept trees and the hills and, and the clouds, but now the painting felt different. You could see how your eye went right down to where he had touched the canvas with yellow. It strikes me that that's a pretty good description of what, in fact, God has done in our world when he sent Jesus. 2,000 years ago, on a windswept, cold, brusque, chilly night, God dipped his brush, if you will, into his love and power, and he touched it right down there in a manger in Bethlehem. And with one stroke, it changes everything about the way the landscape of the world looks. Yes, there are still ugly, bleak, stark, rough, awful things in the painting that is our world, true. But now, because of the coming of Jesus in the canvas that is our lives, everything's different, and you look at it differently. And that's exactly what God wants to do in your life as well, to touch down into the story, the painting that is your life, where there are probably still bleak and dark and difficult places in your life. The painting that is your life has some tough parts to it, yes, but God wants to know, will you allow him to dip with the same brush down into the painting that is your life and touch with the power of Jesus to change everything for you? Are you ready for that to happen? The way Matthew would say it, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. The, the, the canvas has been touched. God is with us. Are you living in a way where God is with you? I mean, really with you in your life? That's the whole point of this God thing. It's not meant to be just a story from years ago. It's meant to be a game changer that this Jesus then who came into the real canvas of this world, 
grew to be the guy who would, you know, cure, cure lepers and, and uh, heal the lame and help blind people see and calm the storms. And that is the God who was with us. Are you wanting and welcoming that Jesus with you in the story of your life? Because that's what really change, that's how change and growth and life happens for us. You know, I've been a pastor a long time, uh, 29 years, I think. And, well, yeah, that's, yeah, well, started, started ministry when I was four and um, I've been at it ever since. And one of the things about being a pastor is, you know, you, you see a lot of the stark, ugly part of the painting in people's lives. But I tell you, one of the best parts is you get a front row seat to the change and transformation that God brings into people's lives. And friends, I've had a vantage point here, especially at Mountain, just to see front row seat what God can do. People, people get so jaded and cynical. They think, you know, people don't change. Leopards don't change their spots. People who are cranky, they just get crankier. Greedy people, they just get greedier. People that are mean, they just get meaner. Well, I've seen that happen too. You have too. Maybe you think that's the way it may, only way it can go. But I don't believe it has to be that way because of what I've seen and what I know. When God comes in and transforms people before my eyes, I've seen people, I've seen people who are hateful, nasty, bitter, racist jerks before my eyes become outrageously loving and non-prejudiced, welcoming, warm, inclusive people. I've seen it happen many times. I've seen people who are greedy, people trapped by materialism and in love with their money and their version of success become these people who are released from that grip, who become these generous people through whom blessings flow to others. I've seen selfish, selfie, self-oriented people become selfless, servant-hearted people who serve their guts out all the time with great joy here and around the world. I've seen that in many other things, not only in my own life, I've seen it in a lot of other people's lives, but I guess the point I'm trying to make isn't really about anyone else or even about me. The question is about you. Are you going to change or are you done? Is there growth that you would welcome into your life? Real substantive new life? And that, I, I, I want to argue with you, will happen only through a relationship with God, letting Him touch that canvas of your life with Jesus Christ, who changes everything about how you look at the world. A relationship with Jesus is the key. And here's how Paul describes it in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, says this. So from now on, we don't think of anyone from a worldly point of view. I used to think of people a certain way. I don't think of them the same way anymore. And it also says... Though we once thought of even Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I, I don't think of Jesus the same way I used to from a human point of view. used to think of him, you know, he's an old guy, he was a moral teacher, he was a miracle worker, he's a guy in robes, you know, wears sandals, wants something for me. I don't think of Jesus that way anymore. Because there's a big difference, isn't there, between knowing about Jesus and really knowing him. Knowing about Jesus is something that, you know, I used to do and when I was younger. Maybe some of us, I would say that's about what we do. We know about Jesus. But knowing him is different. It's the difference of 18 inches between the head and the heart. Knowing about him is when, yeah, I know who he is. I know about him. But to know Jesus in a relationship way where he's real and he's with us, with you, that gets here. And that 18 inches can separate a person from heaven and hell. It's a big 18 inches. 
It's sort of like in the, in the movie, the Christmas movie Elf, you know, with, with Buddy the Elf and Will Ferrell plays a part. You know what I'm talking about? That, that, that one part in the department store when Santa shows up. And they're like, Santa's here. And everybody else is like, oh, cool, Santa. Because they knew about him. But Will Ferrell had a relationship. You know, Buddy the Elf has a relationship with Santa. When he sees Santa, what does he do? He's like, Santa, I know him. Right? And until there's a little bit of me that's like that, around Jesus. Until there's a little bit of you that responds like that at the name of Jesus, then maybe it's because we mostly know about him and we don't know him. To say at the name of Jesus, Jesus, man, I, I know him. I talked with him this morning. He's in my life. We're like this. Friends, that's when change can come into your life that's real and substantive and more than surface level behavior modification where you fake it to make it or some religious stuff you jump through to impress someone like God or someone else. None of that is real change. It's all cosmetic surgery junk. The real change comes when you know Jesus and that same power that touched the canvas that day comes into your life and then you get changed from the inside out. That's powerful. And that's what we're after. And that's, what, that's why the next verse says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, see, there it is again. It doesn't say believe in Christ. The demons believe in Jesus, okay? But when you belong to Christ, you say, you know what? I give myself to you, Jesus. I want to know you. I want you to be in me. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. And you surrender your life. And when you belong to Christ, it says, then guess what? You can become an entirely new person. You're like a new creation. The same God who created at the beginning is going to create something new in you. And the old has gone and the new has come. Friends, we want new to come. We need it. God wants to do a new thing. But notice, the old has to go. Probably all of us know that for something new to happen in our lives, something old has to go. Do you know what it is? Something that is holding you back or preventing you from becoming the person that God would have you be. The old has to go so the new can come. And as you wrestle with that and think of that, let me just invite you to think about having Jesus come into your life and to say, you know, to make you new. Let me give you some areas where he can make you new. You could say, Jesus, come into my life, make me new in your, in your habits. Habits are those parts of us that are behaviors now that we're kind of used to and we kind of have come to accept that they're maybe part of who we are. Behaviors that we're maybe not proud of or even ashamed of. Those things that Paul says in Romans 7, man, the things I really want to do, man, I don't seem to be able to do those things. And the things I say I don't ever want to do that, why do I end up doing it? What's wrong with me? And we can identify with that. And that's the problem with habits sometimes. We struggle, we pray to overcome them, and we still sometimes feel like we can't. They get a grip on us and they put us in prison. And truth is, here on Christmas Eve, there's probably some of us that deal with some buried shame and guilt about some of this because you're out of control in some area of your life. Maybe you're out of control with your spending or you're out of control with your eating or your purging or your cutting or you're out of control with the speed of life that you're living because you know it's hollowing out your soul. Or you're out of control with telling the truth or not telling the truth. You're out of control with your drinking or you got some pills for some surgery and now you're still on those pills. Or you're out of control with gambling or maybe there's an anger issue and everybody else around you knows it but you're like, no, it's all their fault. 
or some kind of compulsion or you can't stop viewing those images on the computer screen or you waste so many hours on Facebook and then feel lousy about yourself because you got nothing done. Or you just keep buying more shirts and more shoes hoping it's going to fill the hole. See, all these things, they're just ways for us to try to fill the hole that can only be filled by Jesus himself. And so you could pray this prayer this Christmas. Just say, Jesus, Jesus, will you heal? Will you free me from my habits? Because if you're set free by Jesus, you'll be free indeed. Free me. Can you name the habit? Can you name the destructive pattern? It's holding you back. It's telling you lies. It's making you feel terrible. It's not what you need. It's the old has to go. And you know it's something that you need to say, Jesus, will you free me? Free me. Set me free from my habits so the old can go and the new can come. I also hope you'll say, Jesus, I want you to make me new in my hurts because we all have hurts. Hurts are those parts of us that are tender and sore and our baggage, stuff from the past that's wounded us. You know, my wife Carla got a root canal this week. Ouch, you know what time it was? 2.30. Tooth hurty. Some of you won't get that, but... Because when you, when, you when you got a sore tooth hurty, you don't want anyone touching it and sensitive because that's a hurt. And we all have those parts of our lives that are just sensitive. You don't want anyone messing with you. Don't ask me that. I'll start to cry. I'll get defensive about that. That's a, that's a clue to you about where you hurty. <laughs> we all have them. Maybe it's a relationship issue where there's something that's just painful to think about can't work through, or there's a medical issue in the life of someone you love or your own life that is beyond your control. Maybe you feel like God lets you down, or some other part of your life where you feel like injustice blew up into your face and got you, and you were victimized, or you hurt someone else in a way that now you're sad about. Maybe you feel wounded or betrayed, like it's hard for you to trust. Maybe it's because there'll be an empty place at the Christmas dinner table this year, Someone that you wish were there but won't be there anymore. We get these scars and these choices and these wounds that go deep and we get to feeling like I will never, I will never heal from this. I'll always be broken in this way. And friends, here's what I want you to hear is that the reason God sent his son Jesus into the world was to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. Jesus that's what he does so well is come to us. And he's not an aloof, distant God who does it from, you know, by dialing it in. This is a Savior who would become the Messiah described in, in Isaiah 53 when it says he himself was despised and rejected. He knows pain. He was a man of sorrows. He himself was familiar well with suffering. He took up our wounds along with his own. He carried our sorrows and he was crushed for our iniquities. He identifies with us. This isn't some distant, cold Buddha smiling at us from a distance, saying good luck with all that. This is a Jesus who came down into the mess and the sweat and the grime and the blood and the tears of our lives and bore our sorrows with us. This is a God whom Scripture says God is close. Psalm 34, God is close to you when you're brokenhearted. Some of you feel like a bruised reed, like a stalk that's grown up and someone walked by and snapped it and it's barely dangling. That's how you feel. That's how it is in my life. One more thing happens to me like this, I'm going to... I'm going to die. So Isaiah 42 describes that. Some of you feel like a flickering wick, like if one more thing happens, it's going to snuff me out and I'm done. And God is not going to, he's not going to deal roughly with a bruised reed. He's not going to blow out the wick that's barely flickering. 
but he's faithful and he'll be just with you and take care of you and bind up the wounds. I love the nativity scene that I heard about. It was in a churchyard. And during the night, some folks came across this scene. There was an abandoned dog that was wounded and had an injury in his leg. And he was looking for a place protected to sleep for the night. And he found a pretty good place there next to Jesus, don't you think? Now, if that's a cat, we'll throw it out of there. But <laughs> it was a dog, so he can stay the night. I love that picture because you know what? I'm that dog. You're that dog. We're all wounded dogs who need the smarts to say, to, instead of just acting like we don't have any hurts, to acknowledge that we do and then bring them to Jesus, who himself understands. And so the prayer you can pray is simple. Heal my hurts, Jesus. I invite you to think of whatever hurt you have, whether it's a past abuse, some kind of difficult thing that you're still dealing with or hurt about, and simply pray that prayer. Jesus, this Christmas, will you heal my hurt? Name it, offer it, and leave it. And I pray you'll invite Jesus to come into your life, to give you new life, to say, free me from my habits, heal me from my hurts, and also that you'd say, Jesus, can you bring newness to my history? Because we all have one of those too. Talking about our past and the regrets and sins and mistakes of yesterday that still live on today with us. Aren't you glad that your sin isn't on international television for everyone to see like it was for Steve Harvey? I'm glad my gaffes aren't out there for all of everybody. We tell ourselves, you know what? If you knew everything about me and who I was and what I've done, you probably wouldn't like me very much. And then we realize, wait, God does see all that about me. He must really not like me. But my friend, Christ does love, and that's why he came into the world. That's why Jesus came, to forgive sinners. And the Bible says we have redemption through his blood. That's why Jesus came to forgive sinners like us. So the prayer you can pray is simply, Jesus, will you forgive my past? Forgive my past. You say, I don't feel forgiven. It's like, well, that doesn't change what God does. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. When you're forgiven by God, it's for real and forever. You know, Think how far the east is from the west. Think about that. When y'all go north, and I'm heading to the North Pole, and I keep going, and I pass the North Pole, now what direction am I going? South. If I go south, and I go past the South Pole, and I keep going, now which direction am I going? North. But when I go east, how far do I have to go east before I start going west? Never happens. And when God separates your sin from you, you can chase them your whole life. You'll never catch up because they're gone. They're distant. They're not part of you anymore. That's how far it is, and that's how beautiful it is. And so let Jesus heal your history and forgive your past. Because in Christ there is no condemnation. That's what he does best. I figure my friend Darren's got it about right when he says the whole Christmas thing is sort of like a big gift exchange. You know the kind, right, where everyone writes their name on a piece of paper, put them in a shoebox, mix them up, pass it around, everyone draws a name out, see who you got. That's who you got to go buy for, right? And it's kind of like that whole, there was a big gift exchange day in heaven many, many years ago. And everybody watched when Jesus was going to draw his name because, no, he always gives the best. And he goes into a sea of little white slips of paper and he, and he picks one out and he looks at it. 
tucks it into his palm, goes and shows the father, and they both smile and nod of approval, and then they embrace, and the angels didn't understand why, why Jesus and the father were both crying. But they would later understand it was a tear, a tear from an embrace of farewell. Because in the fullness of time, God would send one of those angels down and tell a young girl that she would give birth to the God child, God in the flesh. And they saw Jesus carefully fold that piece of paper as he went off to give his gift. And he was born of a woman and he lived with all the limitations of, and weakness of, of humanity. He touched the untouchables. He loved the unlovable. He embraced the outcast. He lived a life that called us to be our best version of ourselves. And he said we could be part of a kingdom where he was going to make one day all things new. New heaven, new earth, and we could be part of that. And it was beautiful and it was going swimmingly until a Friday afternoon when it all changed and they grabbed him and beat him and drug him up a hill and they nailed him to a cross and six hours later he was dead. And if you can picture that moment in your imagination when Jesus' friends lowered him down from that cross and took his life limp, lifeless limp body from there and tenderly tended to it. I like to imagine that they came across something peculiar in his hand there, stuck to the bloody palm in Jesus' hand, a thin little strip of paper, a strip of paper with a name on it, you know. You know whose name it was, right? It was your name. It was your name, and he had now given his gift. That's what Jesus does best, which is why today we call out to him and say, Jesus, will you free me from my habits? Will you heal me in my hurts? Will you, will you please forgive me of my history and save me? And friend, I hope he'll make that call, and he will do that and be with you. Let me pray for you. God, we're so grateful for you sending Jesus to us. And now we pray, Lord, that we would receive him. Help us, Lord, receive him so we could be new in whatever ways we need to be made new. Help us turn from our old ways and open our hearts and find our life, our hope, our peace, and our rest in Jesus. We pray it in his name.